We do this, and I'm constantly astounded by the courage that people have to come up and share the most vulnerable things in their life. And, you know, Falta, some of that we knew and some of it we didn't know, but she has struggled with her health for a long time. In fact, the reason that she kept coughing is because of this lung disease that she has. And I I said, well, because I, you know, was talking to her before church and she was planning to share. And I said, well, maybe you could do it another week. She says, look, it's not going to get any better. You know, I might as well do it today. So anyway, thanks again, Father, for sharing your story there. So let's go ahead and uh, can you put up the slide from beginning? I wanted to review, if you didn't know or maybe your first time here even, uh, we have a new series that we've started called uh, How Jesus Motivated. And I want to just do a quick review of what we've done so far so that even if it is your first time, uh, you'll sort of feel caught up with us and then we'll do a little bit more today. But our theme scripture is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And I want to remind you of this. It's so important. Let us, us, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And this was written to some uh, Jewish Christians who were starting to lose their faith. And the idea is that all of us, not just the ministry leader, not just the leaders in the church, but everybody should be involved in this church community and helping motivate each other. And in fact, that's what the word encourage means, to motivate. also says to spur on, to be the best that we can be in our faith. We have an opportunity with each other. We have a responsibility with each other to help each other to grow. And so we've launched on this very practical series where I'm going back and we're looking at example of Jesus and how Jesus motivated. Because sometimes motivation could seem obscure and it can be difficult and mysterious and beyond us. But I want to help us to understand how we can follow the example of Jesus and benefit. I do have a question that I want you to consider again. Who are the people you want to help motivate to be the best that you can be. And I'm hoping that you don't, you want to do that because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And even if you're not a Christian and even if you don't have faith, if you help other people, you're going to be better off. You're going to benefit. You're going to be blessed. It's a principle of life. It's not just true if you're a person of faith. But we each ought to have And I hope you will have specific people that you really want to dedicate yourself to helping to motivate them to be the best that they can be, especially in their faith. Now we've had four lessons. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So just a quick review here. We went back to the very beginning. And if you didn't know it, John chapter 1 is the record that we have of the very beginning of Jesus and his relationship with these 12 men. They were described later as unschooled and ordinary men. Jesus was the master motivator. Jesus was able to take these unschooled, ordinary men and turn the world upside down. And this is where he began with them. The first two, Andrew and John, and we did that lesson. And the point there that we can learn about motivating is to ask questions. Ask people questions that will help you to know and understand who they are. And then when they're known and understood by you, then they have an opp- you have an opportunity to know how to help them. And they also have an opportunity to know that you care enough about them and that you know them well enough that they could trust you to give them input and help in their life. The second thing, 
And that's from that text. If you want to read it, go ahead to the second slide or the next slide. John's right after that, John chapter 1, he has, Jesus has his first meeting with Simon Peter, and he expresses this vision for him. And that's the practical also. Let other people, or the other person that you're trying to help, know what you believe can happen in their life. That whatever they are now, they can be a better version of themselves. And you believe that. And most people do not believe in themselves. In fact, what I've said often is, I try to stay away from the people who believe in themselves. Right? I mean, because sometimes they're difficult and obnoxious. But, and arrogant. But, most people don't believe in themselves. And so they need, we need each other. We can help each other by expressing a vision for each other. The next thing is, next line, right after that in John chapter 1, Jesus meets this man Nathaniel, and he says, first meeting he's ever had with him, he says, here's the true Israelite. Nothing false in him. And the lesson there for us, the practical is, to motivate other people, we should learn to recognize the good in other people, to express the good in other people, because people don't grow by you focusing on what's wrong with them, primarily. People aren't inspired and motivated by you focusing on what's wrong with them, primarily. But we need to recognize the good in people and express that so that they know. And then the last thing that we've done in our series so far, it starts in chapter 2, build a friendship. Jesus did that with these 12 men. For the next three years, they were almost inseparable. He spent time with them, and it says here, spend time with others, enjoying life, sharing your lives together. And Jesus did that. The first thing they did in chapter 12, they went to, just a few days after they met, they go to a wedding together, and the guys that Jesus brought drank so much wine that they ran out and so Jesus had to do a miracle and you know they got some more wine there and then right after that they went down to spend a few days with Jesus' mother and brothers and then shortly after that they went to Jerusalem for a feast and so anyway they just did a lot of things together. They had a real friendship and that's the way to do it because if you want to motivate, you want to help somebody else, they need to know and understand and you need to demonstrate that you really care about them. That you love them, that you're invested in them, that they make a difference in your life. And it's through that relationship that you can make so much difference. I'm not saying that you can't have a one-time conversation with somebody that changes their life. That can happen. That does happen. But most of the time, the people that we're really going to impact and motivate are people that we've invested in and that we have a friendship with. There you go. Okay, so that brings us to today. And I want to share something new here. And the music is playing. And, and, and that was that was intentional. You thought it was a mistake. Uh, but it was it was meant to be a margin so that you would understand that we were no longer reviewing what we've already done, but we're starting on something different. So let me just say in the beginning, as we uh, add a little bit to this uh, series on Jesus motivating others, that the lesson that I'm going to share today it will be brief, but I don't think that makes it necessarily any less powerful. It's not, it's not the lesson that I intended to do today. I've been studying for a long time and preparing the series and lessons. I've got a lot of ideas running around in my head, which is a very dangerous place to be. You don't want to be in there. But this lesson is not the one that I intended originally to share today, but it's the one, let's just say that I believe God led us to this. 
And it starts with this uh, sort of a question here about motivating others. Uh, what do you do when you're unmotivated to motivate? It's a good question, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're even trying this yet. I don't know if you're trying to help other people yet. But if you do it for any length of time, what you're going to find out is sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's discouraging. And sometimes you have your, your own life gets in the way. And you're unmotivated to motivate. What do you do when you're supposed to be motivating others, but you don't feel like you got what it takes? You don't feel like you've got the strength or the energy or the, your own motivation? Uh, this happened to me last week. I had, between Wednesday and Friday, or Wednesday and Thursday, in about a 24-hour period, I had three devastating conversations that just basically sucked my, sucked my energy dry. It took away my desire to, to motivate. Now, I'm not going to tell you about those three conversations. And Tom McCray says, thank you, we did not really want to hear. I came to church for good news today. I'm not going to tell you that, but the chances are that if I did tell you about those three conversations, you might feel like, well, I don't really know what the big deal is. doesn't seem that bad to me. And I think that's one thing we should understand is that, you know, we all live in our own world, Right? And things that might have a devastating effect on me might not have any effect on you. And that's that's something we should understand because none of us are exactly alike. But anyway, it was a uh, very difficult, and so it led me to think about what do you do? What do you do when you're unmotivated to motivate? And so I started thinking about Jesus and his being the master motivator and all. I go, wonder if Jesus ever felt that. What do you think? So I started reflecting, and you know, you may not know much about the Bible, and this may be your first introduction to the Bible, and we won't look at all the different scriptures, but Jesus had this three-year relationship with these twelve guys, these unschooled, ordinary men, and then they turned the world upside down. But it is obvious if you read the story, he was frequently frustrated, discouraged, uh, wondering what to do. Uh, if you don't, I'll just mention a few of the things that he said to the guys at different times. He said, do you still have no faith? Another time he said, do you still not understand? Uh, I wrote down a few of those. Another time he said, you don't want to leave too, do you? And then this is my favorite one. How long shall I put up with you? Now, I don't know, parents, if you've ever said that, but if you haven't said it, you've thought it. How long should I put up with you? And so, Jesus frequently had had issues himself that he had to work through in his own life in order to continue to be the master motivator and the person that he needed to be. Look over in Mark 14. This is going to be our text for today. So those are some of the examples of some of the things that Jesus said and as he was struggling along with these guys. But the most powerful example to me is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to read that story here as we go on. 
And you may or may not know the story. Let me give you a little bit of background if you're, if you're new to the story. But the plan since eternity has been that Jesus would come, the Son of God in human form, that He would live on this earth, that He would die on a cross, that He would die a horrible execution by the will of God in order to pay the price for our sins, to take on Himself the punishment for our sins. So this is not a surprise to Jesus. And He's known about it all along, but as we pick up the story here, it is the night before it's finally going to happen. And Jesus is going to die on the cross. And there's a lot of very challenging circumstances around that. These guys, that he's invested so much of them, he's just had his last, called the Last Supper, this meal with them. And he knows that one of them is going to betray him, that they're all going to desert him, that Simon Peter's going to deny him. And so he still has to make this decision to go. And I thought many times as I've reflected on this story and what would it be like, I try to imagine what would it be like if I was a criminal and that I had received a death sentence, that I was going to be executed. And what would it be like and how would I be feeling the night before? Right? I mean, a lot of people on death row, they're there for years and it leads up and there's a build up. And, you know, what would it be like the night before? Think you'd sleep much? Here's Jesus. It's the night before, and it's even worse than that, isn't it? Because Jesus is no criminal. Jesus has not done anything wrong. Jesus is not guilty of anything. And also, he's making a choice about whether to die or not. It's not something that's going to be forced on him beyond his own will or his willingness to go along with the plan. I mean, it's been the plan. And as well, it's going to be a horrible death. You know it's true, the executions that we have today, and I don't know what you think about the death penalty and whether you think that's right or just or not, in some ways it's irrelevant, but at least in the United States, when somebody is executed, it's relatively humane, right? It's an electric chair. It's lethal injection. I don't know, there's some states that hang. I don't know if anybody still does that, but even, if, even death by hanging... Which may be true. I mean, none of those are... I don't want to go out of any of those, okay? So put that on your prayer list for me. You know, I don't want to go out that way on any of them. But whatever it is, it's a matter of seconds, it's a minute, and it's over. Jesus suffered, and he knew this was going to happen, for six hours. Horrible, horrible experience that he had. Nailed to a cross, nailed alive. Not only the physical suffering, of course, but the desertion of his closest, closest friends, the mocking that he endured from the people there at the cross, etc., etc. So it's the night before. What do you learn from Jesus about how to, what to do when you're unmotivated yourself? It says here in, Joe, in, in verse 32 of Mark 14, I believe the words will be on the screen. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Daddy, Daddy. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but what you will. And this story goes on and three different times it's sort of repeated. And so what do you learn from Jesus? About what to do when you're struggling with your own motivation. Something that might be your first answer might be, you get your closest friends together, and you get them all there, and you tell them exactly how you feel. And Jesus did that, didn't he? You know, I love this about Jesus. I love this about the Bible. It is real life God's way. It is raw. Put yourself in the story. Try to imagine it. The words are graphic. Jesus was deeply distressed. Deeply distressed. It says he was sorrowful. He says, what does it say? He was sorrowful to the point of death. Have you ever felt so bad in your heart, in your mind, in your being, that you weren't sure that you wanted to live anymore? I don't know how to interpret that, but Jesus says, except that way, that he says there was so much sorrow, there was so much pain, there was so much dread. He was so unmotivated. He just felt like death had already overcome him. And I'm sure Jesus would have been happy to die in any way other than the way that he was going to die, this horrible, this horrible death on the cross, this crucifixion. Have you been there before in your life? I don't know what to uh, call this sermon, but uh, I thought it was something really encouraging like your darkest hour. Light murmuring of some people who thought that was humorous and many who did not. You know, the truth is, and this is a serious matter, you may not be there today, but... If you're practicing real life, if you're living real life and you're trying to do it God's way, there's going to come days when you just don't feel like going on. And the idea of trying to be, do something for other people is unimaginable. Because you feel like you're in such a dark place. And you feel like you're in such a difficult place. And you can't imagine, you know, what, what, you know, what do you mean I'm supposed to think about other people? What do you mean I'm supposed to live for other people? Because I don't know how I'm going to get through the next few hours. And so it is a good idea. He is open with his life. And you should be open with your life. And I love this about Jesus. Again, so real. Deeply distressed. Troubled. Sorrowful to the point of death. And he lets that be known. But unfortunately, his three friends that he brought along, you know the story, right? They weren't much help. What did they do? They fell asleep. For him at that moment, I mean, they were there, but they weren't there. You see what I'm saying? They were present. Jesus knew. He wanted. 
He wanted them to be something for him. He wanted them, no doubt, to provide some strength for him and to support him and to say, you can do it and you can make it, Jesus. And I know it's tough. And, you know, but they were no help at all. I don't know, but, you know, if that's happened to you before, have you ever been in the middle of somebody, a conversation in time with somebody and they just fell asleep on you? Well, evidently it's happened to a lot more people than I thought it had. I remember, uh, I remember when I first decided to be a follower of Jesus. And, I, you know, there was this brother, and uh, back in those days we called him prayer partners, but this brother, and he was a mentor for me, and he was really looking out for me. And, you know, he was a very busy spiritual guy, and he was married, you know, didn't have any children yet. And, you know, we would spend the time together on a weekly basis and we would share our lives and you know for some reason you know we were getting together it was very late at night and we got together about uh, 10 p.m. and you know I had a lot of things to share I don't know if you know this now but I have a lot of problems it's not just now I, I started out that way and so I'm sharing my life and whatever's going on. I don't remember what's going on. But what I do remember is we got to the end, so we're going to pray together. And so he says, well, you pray first. And, you know, so we're sitting in some chairs over by the, whatever, in the living room. And so I pray and, you know, and I pour out my heart to God about all these things that I'm struggling with. And I got finished with my prayer and I looked over at him and he was like... Sound asleep. So I gently nudged him awake and on we went. But let me just say this. And this is a, is a great brother and he's still a faithful brother. He's an elder in Atlanta now. And he's, a, you know, it was just late at night. I mean, it's understandable. But I will say this, and this is something you need to understand. And this gets to the point of the whole message today is that people, no matter how awesome they are and how good a friend they are, people are never going to be able to meet all the needs that you have in your life. Spiritually or otherwise. Your best friends who have the best intentions, there are going to be times when they let you down. And you need to understand that. You need to accept that. And guess what? There are times when you... Let your friends down. When you're not there for them at their need, at their greatest hour of need. But here's the point. What do you do when you're unmotivated yourself? What do you do when you're unmotivated? You know what you do? There's only one answer to this. You go and you find strength with God. That's what Jesus does. In fact, I don't think the plan from the beginning in this story, I don't see it as he was hoping primarily that Peter, James, and John would support him and help him out in this most difficult hour. In fact, he says, I just want to, here's how I feel. You guys wait here. And he goes off to pray. And he goes off to pray by himself. And he struggles with God. We don't know how long. Maybe most of the night. It says initially he prayed for one hour and he came back and they were asleep. And, you know, he gave him a gentle challenge. Couldn't you guys just, you know, I mean, I'm going to die a horrible death tomorrow. For you, by the way. Don't you think you could just stay awake for, you know, a few minutes here? 
And he goes back second time, they fall asleep again. Third time, they fall asleep again. You know, it's very interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the accounts, their own accounts of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. In some ways, Luke's account is even more graphic because in Luke's account it says that he prayed... And I believe this is first, uh, you have to look it up and read it on your own, but he prayed and it says the angels came and strengthened him. So that sounds good, right? But then the very next verse it says that Jesus was in so much pain still that he prayed even more earnestly and started sweating like drops of blood. So evidently, even the angels came and strengthened him, it still wasn't, he still wasn't where he needed to be just yet. And so you know what he had to do? He had to pray more earnestly. I hope you're not disappointed that when you're going through your darkest hours, or your darkest hour, there's only one thing that's going to help you to rise up spiritually, to get your heart where it needs to be, to find the power, to find the strength, to find the motivation that you need, is that you go to God in prayer and you find strength in God. Jesus had to find strength in God the Father. Nowhere else, there's nowhere else you're going to find it. When you're unmotivated yourself. To motivate. When you're not sure you can go on yourself, you just got to find strength in God. You know, a lot of you have known me for many years, and so this won't surprise you. But some of you are here for the very first time, and so you may be scared and never come back. <laughs> but there are many, there have been many Sundays, and maybe today's one of them. Well, the last thing I wanted to do and the last place I wanted to be was standing up here speaking and giving a message. And you can pray for Mary Kay because she has to hear all this at the house. Yes, that was a very strong word of affirmation that Mary Kay just gave. That's why Mary Kay is my best friend because she supports me and she helps me and she prays for me. But yesterday wasn't the first time I thought, I don't, know, I don't know how I can say anything that makes any sense. But I will say this about God. I've felt that way many times. I'm embarrassed how often I feel that way, maybe. But I, every time I've gotten up here and shared God's Word, I felt like afterwards I go, well, it's not really about me, but God works. God works in my weakness. God works in spite of me. You know, it's so uh, it's so ironic we're out of town, but almost every time in this season of the year, of course, next Sunday's Easter. Almost every for years, I don't know every year, but the Sunday before Easter, I preach on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then next Sunday I'll preach about the resurrection of Jesus. I had decided not to preach about Jesus in the garden this year. <laughs> Evidently, God had a different idea. So he brought three devastating conversations into my life. And several others might, might, might say that we're not encouraging either. 
So God has his way. But I will say this for all of us. You know, next week is going to be fantastic. Invite your friends to come. People come on Easter. They never come any other time of the year. Amen. It's great to have them. It will be great to have them. Maybe something will click with them and their heart and their faith this next week. So, you know, invite them again. Invite them for the first time. But what we all need to understand is there is no resurrection unless there is first a cross. And until you and I die to ourselves. And what that means is that even when you don't feel like giving, and you don't feel like serving, and you don't feel like leaving, and you don't feel like helping somebody else out, you push yourself and you find strength in God. And you go to the cross yourself in that sense. In that sense. You go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You go to your special place of prayer. You spend the time that you need. You draw near to God. And you find the strength to go forward. That's for me. And that's for everybody here. And when we do that, there is a real hope of resurrection. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today and to look at Jesus. And we're, we're mesmerized. We're fascinated. We're inspired by how real he was with his life and how human he was and how much like us he was in so many ways. And yet this example that he set in the Garden of Gethsemane was so powerful. Help us all to learn to find strength in God wherever we are. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.